Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined by my distinguished colleague, Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Hello, Maria. Hello, Bonnie. It's great to be with you today. Great to be with you. Now, we know that legalized abortion has not only stolen 63 million innocent lives, it has also left in its wake millions of emotionally and spiritually wounded women and men. Our guest today knows that wound, and it is what propelled her to found an organization called Deeper Still, a ministry that brings healing and lasting freedom to abortion-wounded hearts. We'll talk to Karen Ellison, president of Deeper Still, about their life-changing work. In addition today, Maria will discuss attempts to defeat a bill in the PA House, which would allow non-doctors to perform abortions. But as always, we'll begin today's podcast with some pro-life inspiration. And this week, it comes in the form of a book. The title is Two Patients. My Conversion from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine by Dr. John Buchalski. Now, a few months ago, Dr. Buchalski was actually one of our guests on Positively Pro-Life, and he shared his conversion story with us in a sort of abbreviated format. His book obviously goes into much greater detail, and I want to tell you that it just reads beautifully. It draws you in, and it takes you on a very personal journey that the good doctor openly and vulnerably shares with the reader. His story in some ways is like that of many others. He was raised in a a good family, a religious family, a pro-life family. And as he grew up, he developed a strong desire to serve others. He eventually would choose the medical field to do that. But like so many, once away from home, steeped in academia, The fundamental values he once held regarding the dignity and sanctity of all human life began to slowly slip away. He began to think like those around him. He believed that being the best doctor he could be meant completely responding to the patient's wishes, even if that wish was for an abortion. Operating under the illusion that he was compassionately helping women by ending their unwanted pregnancies Dr. Bruchowski actually began doing abortions during his residency. However, over the course of time, some things happened, certain events, certain people, and all of these things would chip away at the hardness of heart. Two religious pilgrimages, one to Mexico and the other to Medjugorje, taken many years apart, worked on his heart and in his soul until finally he realized what he had been doing He had been taking innocent lives and the doctor was literally brought to his knees. He had a reckoning with himself and compares himself to the prodigal son who now wanted to come home. I'd like to read just the one paragraph of what he wrote um, as he kind of goes through this conversion. This is from page 141 in his book. I had performed abortions for the first two years of my residency. I terminated Down syndrome babies. I terminated babies with deformities. 
I terminated babies whose conditions were incompatible with life. From a medical standpoint, the problem with this treatment is that doctors are trying to get rid of the disease by getting rid of the people with the disease. Yet when doctors care for both patients, mother and child, they begin to view the diseased child as a person who is worthy of love. I wanted to be one of those doctors. A new paradigm began to form within my mind and I could feel it invigorating a new passion for practicing truly excellent, God-honoring and life-affirming medicine. Medicine for me would be an act of mercy, never again an act of violence. Well, that was the turning point for Dr. Bruchalski. In 1994, he and his wife, Carolyn, took a giant leap of faith. And with seed money borrowed from a friend, they opened a completely pro-life OBGYN practice in Northern Virginia in their home. And they saw patients, even if they had no insurance or any Medicare or Medicaid coverage, they named the practice Tepeyac after a hill in Mexico that figured prominently in the doctor's reversion to his faith and pro-life position. Now, since those very humble beginnings, Tepeyac has grown and thrived and has delivered thousands of babies and hired dozens of doctors and medical staff who are loyal to this mission and the principles of a pro-life practice recognizing that in every pregnancy, there are two patients and that both must be treated with the utmost care, compassion, and love. This is such a fabulous book. There's so many things I could say about it, but what I especially love about the book is the sincerity, the honesty of it. Dr. Prochalski really opens his heart to the reader. He kind of lets you into his life, his thoughts, his most vulnerable moments. And by the end, you feel like you've taken a journey with a friend whose only desire is to share truth with the whole world. I highly recommend Two Patients by Dr. John Burchalski. Read it and you will surely be inspired. Maria. Thank you, Bonnie, for that wonderful inspirational story. <clears throat> Pro-abortion Democrats in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives are now trying to push legislation which would allow non-doctors to perform abortions. The bill is just the latest attempt to expand abortion in the Keystone State. More than 32,000 abortions occur in Pennsylvania in a single year, according to statistics from the PA Department of Health. It is unconscionable that some politicians are trying to boost that tragic number. The proposed bill would permit nurse practitioners nurse midwives, and physician assistants to take the lives of innocent preborn children through abortion. This, despite the host of complications, which can occur for a woman following abortion. Those complications can include everything from hemorrhaging to death. We need only remember the atrocities at abortionist Kermit Gosnell's House of Horrors abortion facility to note that untrained healthcare workers should not be permitting or performing abortions. Gosnell was ultimately convicted of murdering three newborn babies and causing the death of a female immigrant patient, Karnamaya Mangar, in his scandal-plagued facility. At a time when mounting concerns have been raised about the quality of women's health care, the move to turn non-doctors into abortionists is especially regrettable. Please contact your state representative and let him or her know you oppose this dangerous legislation. 
If you don't know who your state representative is, or you need contact information, please visit us through our website at www.paprolife.org. Bonnie. Thank you, Maria. <clears throat> I am delighted to introduce today's guest. Karen Ellison is the founder and president of Deeper Still, a ministry that brings healing and lasting freedom to abortion-wounded hearts. She has served in post-abortion healing ministry for many years, and out of those experiences has developed the Deeper Still Retreat, which is offered free of charge to participants. Karen has had an abortion herself and knows what the healing journey entails. She has served as an executive director of a crisis pregnancy center and as a national trainer. She holds a BS in human services counseling from Old Dominion University. She's the author of Healing the Hurt That Won't Heal, Freedom for the Abortion Wounded and Help for the Church They Fear, which can be found on the Deeper Still website and on Amazon. Karen lives with her husband, Arthur, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and they have three adult three adult children and three grandchildren. And we are delighted that Karen can join us today. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, ladies. I'm thrilled to be a part of your show today. And I have particular um, burden for the state of Pennsylvania because I uh, was born and raised in Pennsylvania. So I really appreciate what you're doing to bring light and life and truth to that state. Oh, thank you, Karen. Well, let's start with your own story that led to this ministry. Yes, I had an abortion in 1981. I just turned 22. Um, I was a Christian and I was actually in going to a Christian college at the time. Now, abortion, we do not, we did not know what abortion was then the same way we know now in terms of we have so much technology, we have so much understanding. And so even though uh, you know, there's a lot less that I understood at that point. But I did know, I did have a conviction in my heart that if you were pregnant, that meant a baby. I mean, I, I wasn't in denial about that. But, and I had a conviction that abortion would be wrong. So even if you would have asked me, hey, Karen, what's your opinion about abortion? I would have said, well, that's wrong. I mean, it's taking the life of a baby. But what I discovered through my own journey was that there were forces that I was confronting or that were confronting me that was that overrode my conviction. So having a belief or having a conviction isn't always enough for someone. And so it really, for me, it was the pressures. I, I was pressured by people, people close to me, um, including the father of the, of the baby, including um, some family members, including just and then I didn't let a lot of people in, you know, because even right from the beginning, when you find out you're pregnant, you're not married. And the whole thing is just, you're disappointed with yourself. You're feeling guilty about all that. So the first temptation is to hide it, just keep it a secret, keep it hidden. And so the abortion uh, marketing, uh, you, you know, they just feed right into that. They feed into your fears and, and, and kind of this like, well, and this will be over in no time. And as well as, you know, as a Christian, you're like, well, I know God can forgive me. And so, so even just with that alone, you think, well, I guess I'll just do this. And I, and I think for myself, I would say I, I surrendered or I submitted or I consented to what the 
what, what pressures outside of me were saying to me. And so part of what I was really a hard journey for me afterwards in my healing was I was, um, it's kind of like I went against my own heart. I went against my own mind uh, and, and I went against my own conviction. And so the way that the enemy used that in my life was just a lot of heaping of shame and accusation. You should know better. You should have known better. You should have known better, which I should have known better. But that came with so much condemnation, so much self-condemnation, as well as just, I don't know, I, I, I just couldn't shake that for a long time. And so really, and I can tell you that even when I was going through all that myself and, and starting my own just surrendering to the Lord and, and, and repenting and beginning a healing process. In all, my, in all my dreams, I would never dream that I would start a ministry someday to do this because that's what this. So let me just give you a picture of what that bondage right from the beginning looks like. I couldn't even say the word abortion, let alone having some kind of vision that I was going to raise up a ministry someday that was going to help, you know, hundreds or thousands of people. Like I couldn't even say the word, let alone feel like I was worthy or able or capable of doing anything about it. So that, they, that alone is just a testimony of how God so radically transformed me to set me free so that I could look beyond my own pain, guilt, and shame. And I could look outward and begin to invite other people into the same healing journey that the Lord did for me. Karen, um, your ministry is called Deeper Still. Can you talk about why it's named that? Sure. Um, you know, first of all, I like to I like to tell people Deeper Still. You want to view it as an invitation. It's a title that within the title is an invitation. Jesus is going to ask people to go deeper. There's always a deeper place of healing. And you know what we as people do we um, we tend to settle for a superficial experience or we settle for a superficial healing. For example, most women or men that are Christian or believe that they're, you know, they're Christians, they have a belief and rightly so that God will forgive you. If you ask forgiveness and repent of your sins, God can forgive you. And so, and that is certainly totally true, but what, but what people kind of a lot of times, um, believe with that is that, well, that's all I ever have to do. All I have to do is receive forgiveness and then I'm good to go. And I don't, I won't have those consequences. I won't have lasting effects. I won't, you know, that, so you don't want to, um, forgiveness is not the same as healing. Forgiveness is the beginning of healing. It's just the beginning. And a lot of times people, especially Christians, believe that forgiveness is the beginning and the end of healing. And so as long as I'm forgiven, I'm good to go and I'm going to move on with life. But those same people, with, even though they might say to you, oh, I know I'm forgiven. Um, they can't say the word abortion. They can't talk about their story. They can't stand up for um, the unborn because they feel like a hypocrite if they do. They can't share their story with anybody. There's so many ways it cripples your life and diminishes your life and your heart and your relationships. And all along, you still think of yourself that you are healed and you're good. And really, you haven't, you've only received a very superficial level of your heart being restored. Why should a woman who has had an abortion consider the Deeper Still Abortion Healing Program? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think the first question to ask for anyone to ask themselves 
is, do I want to be healed? You know, not everybody wants to. Um, you know, a lot of times people, there are people that are very aware of their brokenness. Okay. And, and they, you know, they get to the point where like, you know, I don't want to live like this the rest of my life. And those are the people that are willing to come to an invitation to say, you know, there's more for you. You can have your heart restored. You can have your life restored. But there are people that are, like I said, just a minute ago, that are okay with a superficial kind of, I think I'm good to go. And I'm not really actively in pain that I can think of. In fact, I don't even think I have that many regrets about this. So you don't ever touch it. You don't ever examine it. You don't ever really do um, uh, reflective. You know, you never really reflect on your heart and your choices. So deeper still is really, it's about that God is giving you an invitation. And, um, and within even the, our whole program, there's a depth of healing, there's a depth of restoration that God is taking you into. So anyone who's been through any kind of a healing program, there's lots of wonderful Bible studies out there. There are support groups out there. I mean, there's wonderful things out there already that I totally affirm and bless and agree with. And I used to lead Bible studies myself, but the Lord gave me a hunger to help people go even deeper. And so really, that's really what this uh, whole you know, this whole ministry, this whole program has been built around is how can we help people go to depth of healing that will really restore their lives. And how does the program go about healing the wounds of abortion? Okay, so that's a really big question. Um, and I don't have time to answer. Let me just kind of do a summary of that. So, you know, really, in terms of the reason I love the retreat format is because when you if you know, you're going on a retreat, you know that you're setting time apart. You're not just going for two hours, opening up, closing down, going home. You, you know that you are um, getting away from your regular schedule and you are there to focus. You're there to focus on a way on your heart and on your life. And you're there to receive and you're there to step into what you've been afraid of. So that's one of the reasons I love a retreat format. And so we as a ministry team, you know, our first job is to prepare a place. Environment has so much to do with how much people can receive and be open and be vulnerable. So people need to feel safe. They need to feel covered. And, um, and you know, so what we go out of our way to really prepare a beautiful place, make the surrounding beautiful, have all kinds of comforts around you and make the safest possible environment where people can step in to like, like having a, a spiritual and an emotional surgery. And, you, and you've got to have the right environment to be able to step into that. And then really our program really is just around the, some very core basic biblical principles. Like one of them, for example, is you got to bring the hidden things into the light. If you're going to receive healing, you can't stay in the closet about it. You can't stay hidden and secretive about it. So it was, you know, the Bible instructs us to bring hid things into the light. And so we do that by telling your story. Like so many people have had abortions and have never told anyone their story. We have lots of husbands and wives where the wife has never told the husband about her abortion or he's never told his wife that, it, you know, that he had an abortion with a woman at one point. So you've got to bring hid things to light. You have to also, after you kind of do all that and bring that out, then it's like, okay, well, what is the core, what is the Lord, what is God's solution for your core moral guilt that you carry? What is it? I mean, how do you get rid of that? You can't just talk yourself out of it. 
You can't just, and people will attempt to do what I call self-atonement. They'll try to do all kinds of things to feel good about themselves, or they'll try to throw themselves in, do some kind of good, good work so that you can, you know, you can try to cover up that guilt you're feeling or that shame that has you bound. So really, we really take them through a gospel message of what is what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Was it enough? Was it enough? Or do you have to add something to what he did for you? And if you go through life feeling like you have to help that out, you have to help him out, you have to add more to it, you will never be free from just the bondage or receive the, the freedom that Jesus Christ offers you. You also have to grieve your losses. And you can't grieve your loss until you can name your loss. And if you can't really, um, if you can't verbally say that you're, what you aborted was your child, it wasn't just a medical procedure, it wasn't just a pill you took, you actually had a child and it was your child. And so you can't grieve that unless you can name that's what it really was. It's like facing the facts, facing the truth that I lost a child. And, and we do all kinds of symbolic um, exercises in our program that really helps them tangibly, tangibly connect with their hearts in grieving their losses. The other uh, primary thing we do is, you know, uh, people don't, um, abortion doesn't just happen in a vacuum. There are certain um, habits, um, what I call maybe strongholds. There are certain destructive patterns that you have in your life that made you vulnerable to abortion in the first place. Because we know that about 50% of women who have abortions in America are their repeat abortions. So, or their multiple abortions where you've fallen into a pattern of this is how you deal with your crisis. This is how you are birth control or whatever. So part of when you're, if you're going to restore your heart, you've got to close all those doors, all those habits, all that lifestyle that makes you vulnerable to abortion in the first place, or you're gonna just continue to repeat destructive patterns. So we do step into that, um, that whole thing during our retreats. And the, probably the last big thing that we do is at the end of a retreat, we have a memorial service. And one of the things that's so beautiful about the memorial service that we have is when your heart has been freed up and you no longer have to hide from that your abortion was your children or your child, then when you have an, a, a memorial service, it can be about your children and not about you. In other words, up to that point, it's all about your pain, your shame, your awfulness, your self-hatred, your whatever, whatever. But when you're freed from that and you're, you can receive that healing and receive that freedom, then you can now focus on your children as, as they were legitimate children before the Lord. They are in heaven right now and you can have the freedom to honor them instead of hiding them or hiding them from people or hiding them from your own heart. You can actually acknowledge their existence. You can give them a name. You can bestow a mother or father's blessing on them, even from earth. And so that's one of the last things we do at our memorial service. And it is kind of like the, the beautiful icing on a cake. Um, and the hope for restored. Now, it's not just about now you're healed, but it's more like, okay, well, you still have a life to live. You have probably living children that you are parenting or you need to steward. Like your heart needs to move forward now because you can just now get your life back. You no longer have to be stuck. Karen, <clears throat> you mentioned fathers and men. So I'm wondering if you could talk about how it's different to minister to men than women. Well, I mean, that's a really good question. And when I, when I first opened, when I felt like we were supposed to open the door to also um, 
invite men into our retreat. I was, I was um, honestly, I was intimidated by it. I was like, I don't know if what we do with women will work with men. And I don't really know how to do that. You know, so it was a big step of faith for me to say, because I felt like the Lord said, it's time to open this door to my sons, you know? And so uh, we, we did that. We just took a step of faith and said, okay, Lord. And I really felt like he was saying, start with what you know, just, you don't have to invent some new, you know, thing, just like, these are just basic principles that work for everybody. Now people, men have some maybe emotional makeup that's different from women and they didn't directly have the abortion. So there are, there's certain experiences they didn't have, but they carry the same moral guilt. They carry the same shame, the same regrets and the same grief. And so when we began to just take them through the program, we already had established for women, they, they totally went there. I mean, it was, wasn't even like it was difficult for them. They're like, yeah, you're, I mean, you're, you're, you're reaching my heart too. And so the way that men might express themselves or the way they might verbalize is can be different from the women. But I can tell you this, that when we began to have men and women together at our retreats, probably the, uh, or, or they heard bits and pieces of each other's story or whatever. Probably the thing that I heard from men the most was um, afterwards, they would say, you know, I never knew how much I hurt you. Like they really, because women don't talk about it. You don't talk about it. Uh, men and women who are boyfriends, girlfriends, where the girl has the, the abortion, they don't talk about it afterwards. You just go on with life. And so a lot of times the men have never heard the depth of the story. They've never understood the depth of pain. I mean, they have their own pain, but they don't really understand how it affected the women or how you know it changed their life. And so, and a lot of times women, you have the assumption that it didn't even bother them because you never heard from them again, or maybe they abandoned you, or maybe they went on and married someone else or whatever. And you felt completely like they didn't care. They didn't care. They abandoned me. So it must not have affected them. Well, when they began to hear each other's stories or um, their, each other's hearts, then the men and women begin to go like, oh my gosh, this really hurt both of us deeply. And I'm talking, they don't necessarily, I'm not talking about people that this is their story together. I'm just talking about men and women individually that come uh, to a retreat and, and it helps them like, when a woman sees a man kind of like what I call sweetly broken and it's just repenting and, and uh, for his and, and just asking for forgiveness for women in general. Like we've had lots of men stand up at our retreats and say, I know I wasn't a part of your story, but I, I was part of another woman's story. But I'm asking you, would you forgive me as a man that hurt you as, as representing, you know, as representing men? I just want to say I, I'm. I, I want to be verbal. I want to be the verbal person for a lot of men and just say, would you forgive us? I'm so sorry. We're so sorry. We didn't know how much we hurt you. And so we had women stand up and say, uh, I, I, I apologize kind of generally because I never told you about my abortion. I just went ahead and had it and I didn't even let you know about it. Or I have judged you and I've judged all men because I was so angry at the at the father of my baby. So those kinds of things, when those get verbalized and those be brought into the light, such forgiveness and healing can happen just between the sexes of men and women. Karen Ellison, the founder and president of Deeper Still, thank you so very much for being with us today. Amen. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life. Mm -hmm.